to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Ephesians chapter 4, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul, the apostle, is writing to the church that is in Ephesus. He's explaining to them, he's educating them, the doctrinal stance that they have with God. He's taught them. Uh, there's doctrine. It's it's meaty truth that they can hang their their faith upon, is that this is who you used to be when you weren't a Christian, and this is who you are today because of Christ, and this is what you have today because of Christ, and this is, this is what you are in the eyes of God today because of Christ. When you accepted Christ, this is what happened to you. Okay, so he sends, he spends three chapters talking about that. This is who you used to be. This is who you are today. And then he breaks out in verse one of chapter four and he says, therefore, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, I beg you, I beseech you to have a walk now worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so he, he, Paul says, now that you understand who you are, who you used to be, who you are today, and, and what God has called us to now, now, walk. Have a walk worthy of that calling. You know, I, I, if, if I think of, of any manner of employment, uh, and I know that there's some of you here today that you, 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 you don't know, uh, I work outside of the church and I, I, I'm, I'm employed by an airline and I'm hoping to be on the line here very soon. But here's the thing. When I'm an airline pilot, there's certain criteria. I can't grow a beard. I, I, so I can't have a beard. Bummer. I can have a mustache, but the mustache can't go past the crooks of my, 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 uh, my, my crack of my smile. I, I can't have sideburns that come down, you know, below my earlobes. I've got to look apart. Now, can you imagine if I wore Levi's and a t-shirt? to show up for work and you saw me walk into the cockpit and strap on the seat belts and throw on a headset and turn around and say, hey guys, we're ready to go. You wouldn't expect to see that on an airliner, right? I, I wouldn't. You'd ex- <laughs> No, it wouldn't be awesome. I'd be, I'd be freaking out. I'd be, can I be the first one off this plane? You know? Um, you expect that your pilot is going to be in his uniform, you're going to expect that your pilot is carrying himself in a manner that is becoming of a pilot. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I don't drink, so it's not an issue for me, but, but it's one of the reasons why you can't, in a uniform, sit down in a bar and, and drink just a beer. You know, pilots can't do that. If they do, and they're caught, they're going to get fired. And you can't do that. You don't expect, I mean, can you imagine, you know, you sitting in, you know, a Chili's, you know, before your flight, and you see a guy with four stripes on his, his, uh, his, uh, you know, shoulders, being that that's the captain. Three stripes is the first officer. That's what I am. But the four stripes, 
He's sitting in there. And the, the first officer is next to him, three stripes. The, maybe the stewardess or the flight attendant, we don't call them stewardess anymore, the flight attendant is maybe there with them and, and here they are at a table and they're all just drinking up. And you're going, wow, that's a little weird. But you might dismiss it and go, well, maybe they had a hard day. Maybe they're off. But can you imagine if all of those came out of that bar and walked to your gate and got on the plane of your plane? Would you expect that to happen? No, that's not becoming of a pilot. You can't do that. I would not want to fly on that airplane. In fact, those people would be arrested. They'd be arrested. TSA would go right in there and arrest these guys. And, and so, and they'd, they'd be immediately fired. Now, here's the thing. That is becoming of a pastor, or, or of a pilot. <laughs> Switch professions there. Yeah, that's becoming of a pilot. That's what you expect out of a pilot. And the, the idea is, this is who you are as a Christian. This is what you have put on. We're going to talk about putting on and taking off. In, in Christ, as a Christian, what you put on, what you take off. And, and so the idea is, this is what you should look like. This is what you should be. This is how you should act. This is how you should think. This is what you should consider every day of your life. There's no breaks. There's no vacations. There's no vacations of being a Christian. You know, contrary to popular belief, there are some, you know, churches out there that think that you can, you know, raise Cain all week and then come you know, to, to church and confess it to, you know, a father and everything is good. Let's, let's live debaucherous all week, but come here and if you say, hey, I'm sorry, you know, hey, here it is. Uh, that, that's, that's how life is supposed to be. I don't want to be just picking on, you know, a, a particular, you know, church, but the idea is that's not what you and I are to be doing. That's not what Paul's laying out here. That's not what Paul's laying out here. Paul's not laying out here, hey, live debaucherously your whole life, but one day a week set it aside and come and, and make peace with God every week. That's not, that's not living a life. And, and if, if we think that that is, let me ask, can you do that in other relationships? Can you imagine my wife? You, you that know my wife know that I would not be alive. If for six days out of the week, I'm going out and cheating and I'm living just a debaucherous life, but I come home on Sunday and say, honey, we're still married. Would you forgive me? It's okay. You know, here's the thing. Remember, we said, I do till death do us part. I know that there's other women involved and I know that I'm, I'm, uh, you know, a, a loser out there going out there and just partying my life away and I'm wasting all of our savings on partying without you and I want nothing to do with you six days out of the week. But the seventh day, I want to come back to you and I want to say, hey, would you forgive me? And it, can all things be good between us? Fully knowing that when I leave that time with my wife, that I fully intend to go back out and do some pretty horrible things. How long would my relationship with my wife last? Not very. Now, I know God is not relegated to the the uh, the state of a human being. 
He doesn't judge based upon the way that we would judge or else we would all be toast, right? I know me. When I think of of my life and I think, God, how many times will you forgive me? And yet, what did Jesus say? Peter said, hey, Lord, should what should we do? Should we forgive a man up to seven times? And he thought that was being generous. I think Peter thought that Jesus was going to commend him going, Pete, man, you've learned so much. What a wonderful guy you are. Man, I would expect maybe twice, but Pete, you said seven times. I mean, hey, we all know that seven is a religious number. You know, that's a number of completion. And so Pete, man, not only are you thinking spiritually, but man, Pete, seven times. And Jesus didn't commend him, did he? What did Jesus say? No, Pete. What? What did you say? Seventy times seven, right. And and I don't really believe that Jesus decide, or desired Peter to pull out a little uh, stone calculator and, and go out there and go, okay, how much is that? Seventy times seven. Wow, 490 times. So I'm supposed to forgive 490 times, but the 491st, I don't have to do it anymore? That's not what the intent of Jesus was. What is he saying? Your forgiveness should be never-ending. I think by the 490th time, I think that you're going to forget. I think that you're not going to be counting that many times that you've forgiven somebody. I think that that's what Jesus was getting at. How many times, God, do you forgive me? Oh, man. A modern-day calculator could not hold the number of the times that Jesus has forgiven me. You probably, your number's probably a lot less, but my number I know is big. But it doesn't give me a license to sin. It doesn't give me a license to go and live a debaucherous life just so that I can come back on a Sunday and say, hey, God, forgive me. Uh, I'm now right with you. And if the world were to end today, I'd be right. But I'm fully intending to go back out and do some pretty ugly things. Now, back when I was in high school, I did that. I wasn't walking with the Lord but I was involved in a church. And I was going to a Van Halen concert right after I did a communion song. There are any inconsistencies there? I don't know. Well, I had my brother's rally sport Camaro sitting out in the parking lot and I had to finish my song. And, and, and as we, the Haskins Five, you thought the Jackson Five was big. <laughs> the Haskins Five was we had one performance and that was it. And it was that day. You should have gotten the tape. I'm just joking. But here's the thing. We sang a song for communion. My brother, my sister, myself, my my two brothers, my sister, myself, and my sister-in-law. She's the one that kind of carried us because she's the one that had the the good voice. Well, both my sister and my my sister-in-law both have very, very awesome voices. My brothers and I, well, we are who we are. But the thing is, they carried us. And we sang a, a communion song. And people were in worship as the elements were being handed out. And they thought, oh, what a wonderful, what a wonderful family. And we might look at that. And, and there were probably some families out there that were looking at us and going, man, I wish my kids were like the Haskins kids. Look at my son would never get up there and sing a song like that. I wish that he had a walk like like Don, I wish my son in high school was like him. 
and, and, and they, they begin to kind of look down on their own kids because they're not involved in church like that. Yeah, I had three cases of beer and a, a lot of weed in my car as I was out there singing a communion song because I was about ready to go to a Van Halen concert and then the beach for the rest of the week. It was a horrible, horrible representation. I wasn't walking with the Lord. Was that becoming of a guy singing communion song? Absolutely not. I'm mortified that I even have to share that. But here's the thing. That was me. That was, that was, now that hasn't ever happened again. (laughs) What do you got in your car today, Don? Well, listen, I have nothing. I'm going to let you all go out there and open up the trunk and everything. I don't have anything out there right now. But the point is, listen, we can sometimes become discouraged with how other people are living their life. We're going to get into that here in just a second. We look at everybody else and we think everybody else has everything put together. When all actuality, we don't know underneath the skin how bad they actually have it or how their life is so off of the path of Christ, which mine was at the time. The point is, Paul says that's not becoming of who you are in Christ. Paul doesn't say, hey, it would be a great idea if now knowing who you are in Christ that this is how you should walk. No, Paul's Paul the Apostle is sitting here saying, I'm begging you that you understand who you are in Christ, but now I'm begging you that you would have a walk that resembles who you are. That your life would be different. That your life would be changed. That your life would would not be constantly being drawn back into the old life. But that you would have a walk today worthy of the calling with which you were called. And, and he goes on, and, and we aren't going to read the whole chapter. I did that last week. If you want to go through and read it with us, you can listen on the on the, the online. But the point is, Paul goes in. He says, "Listen, we want. Uh, there's only one church, and it's filled with Jews and Gentiles alike. That's what he's saying in the first few verses. There's only one baptism. There's not a baptism for Jews and a baptism for Gentiles." There's not another faith for Jews and another faith for Gentiles. We are all one in Christ. There is neither slave nor Scythian. There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no man or woman. We are all level at the foot of the cross when we come and we fall down at the foot of the cross and we seek his forgiveness. We become one. He forgives us just like he forgives anybody who comes to him. And and, and so here's the thing. He's saying, this is who you are. This is how you are to walk. He says, listen, there are some that God has given apostles and prophets and, and, and evangelists and, and, and pastors and teachers to equip you. We talked about that last week to equip you to equip the church. We sometimes get that backwards, don't we? We think, wait a minute, the pastor or the, the evangelist or the teacher or whoever it is, because God called them to do that. That's what their job is. And so, we we shirk our responsibility as a body of believers because that's what the pastor's being paid for. That's what the teacher is supposed to do. I expect you to do it. And and that's not what that's not at all what the church is. We are the church. I told you last week. The only reason why God put me up here is because I have a bigger mouth than you do. And I talk. I can talk. 
And hopefully and prayerfully that the words that come out of my mouth are not my words, but that they're words that are anointed by the Lord. And whatever words aren't of the Lord, I pray God would cause you to forget them. Remove them from your brain. Why? Because what I say plus five bucks will buy you a small cup of coffee at Starbucks. That's it. In other words, my words mean nothing. But what does the word of God mean? What does the word of God do to us? It transforms our lives. It transforms your life. It transforms mine. And so as God gives pastors and, and or as, as he gives apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, they are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so what, what I'm called to do is to equip you so that when you walk out of this building, it's not Monday morning, I can live debaucherous. It's Monday morning, wow, now I get to put feet to my faith and now I get to live for Christ. You see, that's that's what it's about. And then on Tuesday, when you go to sleep at night on, on Monday, you say, Lord, thank you that I know you a little better tonight going to sleep than I did when I woke up here this morning. And tomorrow, when I wake up, God, show me your path. Show me what you desire me to do. Oh, that's getting a little out there, isn't it, Pastor Don? Wait, no, no, that's what Christ has called us to do, right? What is the Great Commission? Someone. Anyone. What is the Great Commission? What? I, I, preach the gospel to every creature, right. What does Jesus say? Go into what? All the world. And what? Make disciples. And then what? Baptizing them, right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, and lo, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What age? The age we're living in right now. The age that we're expecting one day for Jesus to come back and take us home. Jesus says, I'm with you, even all the way up into 2019. January 27th. I'm with you, even to the end of the age. I'm with you to equip you. I'm with you. I'm using teachings. I'm using your time special, your own personal time in the word. I'm using your time where you're praying. I'm using your time when you, when you have, you know, some downtime and you're just thinking about me. You're thinking about God. How can you use me? I'm here to help you. I'm here to organize opportunity for you to minister on my behalf. And, and, and so this is, this is the job that I have for you when you go out Monday through Saturday. I want you to go out and minister. Be equipped. Go and do what it is that you've been taught. Go and live the life. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, this is who you are as the body of believers. Now have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Put on the uniform. Paul talks about that being the armor of God, right? I remember, uh, how many of you guys, and it's only going to be us old people, and and I now can say that I'm one of those people. But how many of you have ever heard of the 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 old clown comedian called Red Skelton? Yeah. 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 You remember him? <laughs> remember his, remember his, his clown, what his name was? Clem Cadiddlehopper? Clem Cadiddlehopper. <laughs> you know, he talked really weird, you know. His nephew, Rick, I know him. Rick 
is actually a Calvary Chapel pastor. And his name's Rick Skelton. And he came to, he came to, uh, the Bible college back when I was there. And, and he, he came in and he was a pretty fiery guy, you know, he's pretty, you know, pretty demonstrative, you know, he's just a little guy. But he comes up and he goes, hey, how many of you guys, how many of you students, when you woke up today, oh man, it was a glorious day. How many of you guys put on the armor of God today when you guys woke up? Everybody, I want to see anybody's hands. Now I'm not going to do this to you. Okay. All of us go, well, we're at a Bible college. We better raise our hands, you know. I mean, we, and so we raised our hands and he goes, wow, it looks like all of you. Well, I'm disappointed. Oh, he goes, what did you take it off for? Why did you ever take the armor of God off? And we're going, oh, okay, we should have saw that one coming, you know. But put on the full armor of God and don't ever take it off. Don't ever take it off. You and I were representations of Christ today. He didn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, this is who you are. This is what he's equipped you with. This is what you're called to do. This is what I'm called to do. Now let's get out there and do it. Let's do it. Let's do it and recognize who it is that we're doing it for. And don't ever lose sight of that because, man, I'll tell you, you know it and I know it, how easy it is to get distracted, isn't it? So easy to get distracted by the the, the pressures and the, the, the trials and the struggles that every day come upon us. But don't let it, don't, don't let that happen. Paul says, you are to be equipped to go out there and do this work. He says in, uh, he says, uh, in verse 14, I, I, I don't want you, here's another thing, you should not, you should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. And, and, and so, being carried away. And I think, well, what ways can we be carried away? By every trick. By deceit. That can come in many different forms. Not an exhaustive list, but I think of, I think of a, of a, of a, a church that might be a real popular church. You've got a lot of people there. What was the pastor preaching? And we actually have a, a local church that doesn't believe in the virgin birth, doesn't believe that Jesus even needed to die for our sins. We could be going to heaven without the death of Christ. Local church, large church. And people bought it, are, are buying it. Hook, line, and sinker. We actually have some people that used to be a part of my fellowship that are, they love this guy because he's charismatic. He's teaching heresy. He's ripping the heart out of the gospel. He's ripping the heart out of the purpose of why Jesus had to come. But you know what? It's a fun place to be. And they're like, it, it grieves my heart. Because these guys, I thought, were real strong. But here's the thing. I'm afraid that this is all that they, that they, that they grew in is a Sunday morning. But Monday morning was their days. Monday through Saturdays were their days. Sunday morning is where they were equipped. And this was it. Don't ever let that be said of you. It's not, I'm not saying, hey, you have to be at this church. Hey, there's a lot of great churches locally. I'm getting to know some of them. Kevin and I, just this last week, we are a week and a half ago, something like that, I can't remember, but we, we got together with some other pastors, some other local pastors. 
We're going to continue to do that. These pastors that want to see God do a work here in our community, I'm all for it, man. It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's about His church. It's not about us. Man, if God keeps us this size for the rest of our existence, so be it. This is His church. I want Him to give us the right amount of people. And right now, today, this is the right amount of people. Used to struggle with it. But you know what? There are, there are pastors that will say, man, if you, your church isn't growing, I mean, come on. Jesus says, hey, they're going to add to the church daily such as we're being saved. I mean, if you aren't growing, then you're dead. You should shut the doors. And, and I look at that and I think, but wait a minute. Didn't Jesus lose everybody? Didn't everybody forsake Jesus? He had a, he had a congregation of at least 5,000 at one time. And, and that was just the men. It said, you know, there were 5,000 men besides the women and children. There could be upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people in his congregation that he fed. But when he said something hard, they all left. They all left. And Jesus was sitting there with his disciples. And Jesus didn't, he didn't sit here and panic and go, oh man, I really screwed up this time. Man, are you guys ready to, are you guys going to leave me too? He didn't say that. Here's what Jesus said. You know what he said, right? He said, hey, you guys want to go too? How uncomfortable to be in that position right there. Can you imagine? Be one of the disciples. Wow. Every, everybody left. There's not one, not even a kid stayed back. They're all gone. Do they know something that we don't know? Anywhere from five to 20,000 people just walked away from Christ. Maybe we've got it wrong. And Jesus is actually giving us the freedom to go right now. He's saying, hey, you guys want to go too? Until Peter had to open his mouth. Peter always opens his mouth, didn't he? Where shall we go? You're the one that have words of life. You're the only one. And so if it's us 12, they didn't know that Judas was a traitor at the time. If it's just us 12 following you for the rest of, of our lives, it is enough. And, and so when you sit here and you go, wow, a small church is dead. No, it's not dead. It's not dead. I, I, I look at it and I just, here's the thing. Do you teach the word? Do you receive the word? And do we try to go and do the word? There's life. That's life. That's what God's called us to do. That's what, that's what Paul's calling us to do. Don't be carried away by every trick, by all the deceit. Don't be carried away by what the world looks as success when Jesus, he himself, lost congregations many times over because of the hard things that he was saying and people didn't want to agree with him. Now, now here, here's the thing. That's an easy way to get deceived. Here's another thing. One of the things that, that I think you, you will understand and I think you'll agree with me. I think one of the, one of the greatest advancements 
if that's the proper terminology of that. I don't think it is, but you understand what I'm saying. One of the greatest advances of our technology is the internet. I mean, my goodness. Anything that you want to know, you can look it up and learn. And, and, and you, you can just, there. You know that I used to be a handyman. And I worked on some of your old houses. And you think, man, he's smart. No, I'm not. I just know how to use YouTube. <laughs> That's it. Wow, look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I can do that. If that guy can do it, I can do it. And I'm practicing on your house. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the, no, 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 that's not true. But, well, sometimes it was, but, but not always. Not always. Here's the thing. Yeah, some of you are going, oh, well. <laughs> that's the reason. Um, no. The, uh, the, the thing, the thing is, is that the internet has been a great thing. But I think, On the contrast, or on the contrary, it's been a horrible thing. It's been a horrible thing. It's, it's something that has been out there. It is something that we can hide behind a keyboard. We all know it. You can hide behind a keyboard and you can let people think that your life is awesome. Everything's wonderful in your life when in all actuality your life is, is coming apart at the seams. But looking at your Facebook site, looking at your Instagram, looking at your Tweedledees, you look and you go, wow, that person, man, their life is so wonderful and my life is horrible. If I could only have their life, if I could only have a kid that would sing a communion song like Don does. <laughs> if you only knew. If you only knew what was going on behind the keyboard. The thing is, is that we can be deceived. Somebody sends you something in your email says, listen, they give this really inspirational thing, you know. And they say, okay, now send it to 10 people. If you don't, God won't bless you. Now, can I just tell you, if you ever send me something like that, I'll never send it on. I just don't do it. You're not going to spiritually manipulate me to press something on because if I don't, I'm going to be cursed or I'm not going to be blessed by God. That is like a child being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You're following what the world has to say. You're not, you're not sticking to the, the, the true word and, and you're being deceived. I don't care that you say I'm going to be cursed. I'm not cursed. God loves me. God, God is not relegated to Facebook and me not passing something on and he was, hey, you know, I was really going to bless Don today, but he didn't pass that on, so he's got seven years of bad luck. <laughs> Come on. Stop it. We can be tossed to and fro. Why? If we don't know the word, it's easy to be tossed to and fro, isn't it? It's easy to just be swayed by what the rest of the world says. And if the rest of the world says it, then it must be right. Man, don't ever fall into that trap. We talked about that last week. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there are who go that way, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are who go that manner. I want to be one of the few. I want to be one of the chosen. <laughs> Marine. I want to be a Christian Marine. You know. Now, here's the thing. 
You don't want to get caught up in that. Now, here's the thing. He goes on. He says, I therefore, uh, in verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And the word that he's using Gentiles is basically the unbeliever. All right. He's talking about unbelievers now. Don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk and the futility of their mind. We talked about futility last week, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardening of their hearts. Now, just very quickly, the darkness, their understanding is darkened. And I think I did talk about this last week. It's, it's, the idea is to be deprived of moral light. The morality is gone. But because they have a strong contingent of others that say it's a good thing, they take confidence in it. You know why? Because misery loves company, right? Uh, if, if I'm walking down a bad road and I know that this road is going to lead me away from morality, but I don't want to live in morality because it's more boring. I think it's boring. And so what I will do if I'm wanting to live immoral is I'll surround myself with other immoral people because it's a whole lot easier to live immorally if I've got a bunch of people around me that are saying, yes, 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 do that. That's what we're doing. And so here's the thing. It just means that yes, 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 you all are, are your group of friends, your group of, of, of compatriots that are living in debaucherous life. We're just living in sin. You, 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 you take comfort because you're all doing it and God isn't going to judge us all. Hogwash. Hogwash. That is a child being tossed to and fro by a, a wrong doctrine that says God isn't going to judge people because he loves all mankind. Yes, he does. But what is, what is the, the most, one of the most, well, the most famous verse in the Bible is probably Genesis 1-1. We all know that. But what's probably the second most popular verse in the Bible? What? John what? And what does it say? I'm just here to bunch of but you're all saying it right, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see a condition there? Do you see a condition there? There's a condition there that says, if you believe. But what if I don't believe? What if I don't want to? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him, or would believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Sorry about that. My tongue got started falling down the stairs right there. What if I go, well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, I don't want to believe in him. Will have, you know, will not perish, but have everlasting life. What if the condition is, what if I don't want to believe in him? Well, then what is the outcome? You're going to perish. But God's a God of love. Come on. Really? Do you believe that? He's going to send anybody to hell? Here's the thing. He's not sending you to hell. You're paving your own path. 
He's given you a road. He's shown you the way. And you're choosing not to take his way because you want to do it your way. And if you do it your way, you are going to have to answer for your way. Oh, but it's too confusing. It's too hard. It's too hard. I don't want to... I don't want to become this Bible thumper. I don't want people to think that I'm a freak when it comes to being a Christian. I'm one of those crazy Christian people out there. They always are in church. Every day the doors open, they're there. They sing their songs. They raise their hands. I mean, that's kind of embarrassing. And yet you'll go to a concert. You'll jump on, if you're a girl, you'll jump on some guy's shoulders that you don't even know. And you'll sit there and you'll raise your hands up in the air and you'll scream out at that concert. You'll throw that lighter up in the air. Well, they don't necessarily use the light. Well, they do probably still, but you know, they throw their cell phones up there, you know, a little blue light. Woo. Wait a minute, don't you? Aren't you doing the same thing? Well, yeah, but yeah, but there's a whole lot more people at the concert that's doing it. So I'm just a... Why does a gate? Be careful. Just because the world does it doesn't mean that it's right. Do you know the word? That's what the whole purpose is. That's what that's what Paul's trying to get to. Do you know the word? Do you know the word well enough to know that when a counterfeit comes along, you can actually understand it? I got to hurry up. Here's the thing. He's saying, don't be deceived. It's easy to be deceived. It's easy to be a deceived. Even though the world may go this way, it doesn't mean that it's the right way. And even though the world is saying, oh, but God is a God of love, he'll never... Stop it. Don't ever say that. Because the word of God says there's coming a day, a day of reckoning. Just read the book of Revelation and recognize that there is going to come a day of a great white throne judgment that any person that approaches that great white throne judgment will be discarded. He will be sent off into an everlasting hell. That's it. That's what the Bible says. Well, that's not sound very nice. That doesn't sound very loving. God was loving and that he gave you an out. He gave you a path to not go that way. You chose not to take it. Who's not loving? You rejected his escape hatch because you wanted to do it on your own. Now, don't blame him. You will forever regret your decision because you rejected. Oh, but but it's not fair. Everybody else. That's what Paul's trying to say. Don't be deceived. Don't be like a little kid that just whatever anybody says, you just believe. We have this. In front of us. You have this probably on your lap right now. And if you don't have one of these, come and see me. I'll give you one. I believe the Bible is so important that you need to know the word of God. Because if you don't know it, you are susceptible to fall. And you will fall. And you will fall hard. If you don't know the word, you can't... Listen, I'm not going to blame Ralph... For me being rejected by Christ because I just did what he said. Wait a minute, did Ralph die for you? Nobody always brought over a case of beer. Well, that sounds logical. I'm going to forfeit my life because Ralph was always quick with a beer. And he was a nice guy. 
But he rejected all of this religious hubbub. Well, you didn't understand. You, you, you chose a different path. Now, you can blame Ralph all the rest of eternity. What will be really, really, really horrible is that there's a lot of Ralphs. I don't know why I'm picking on Ralph. If you're Ralph here today, I'm sorry. I don't mean to pick on you. That's just the name that came to my head. What, what is going to be really hard for some to reconcile is that they may have followed Ralph their whole life, the Ralphs of this world. But Ralph, before he died, just moments before he bowed his knee to Christ, and he's in, he's in heaven, and you followed that guy, and guess what? You've rejected God because Ralph gave you the confidence to do it and because he was your compatriot and because, man, I did this with Ralph my whole life. I was always along with this group of people that was led by Ralph. And, hey, Ralph might be in heaven right now because he came to his senses and he bowed his knee to Christ. And that is just like our Lord that will forgive to the uttermost. Anyone who comes to Christ and bows their knee Anyone who comes with a contrite, broken and a contrite spirit, he's not going to turn away. He's not going to turn away. And if Ralph lives a life of debauchery, and I know that that might not sound fair to you, and you might go, well, that's not fair, because he did so much. He deceived so many people, and a lot of people are going to go to hell because of it. I know, it's tough. But there's a man that has written 13 books of the New Testament. His name is Paul that was that Ralph. That his life changed. Well, yeah, but he had a long time. It doesn't matter. His life changed. There were two thieves on the cross. One was, they were both antagonizing Christ at first, right? And then one, he told his, his buddy on the cross, hey, stop. Stop berating Christ. Stop berating him. You and I are up here because it's our just reward. We're here because we are thieves. We got caught. This is the punishment. We are here because we have to be here because this is what we earned. But he, he's not done anything wrong. And he's suffering the same punishment that we deserve and he doesn't deserve it. And he turned to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you enter in your kingdom. Jesus says, hey, I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. Some people look at that as a contradiction in scripture. Wait a minute, there were two thieves on the cross that were mocking him and then there was only one in another book and here's the thing, I'm telling you that there was a salvation upon the cross. Man, this guy might have lived his whole life debaucherous and and being a thief but within moments of him taking and breathing his last, he came to a place where he bowed his heart before Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm not going to reject that. And so how sad it will be for Ralph to be in heaven and those that he led to go to hell. Why? Because they didn't want to take the time to do it God's way. And so so he says, listen, these guys, they're morally bankrupt. There's an ignorance in them because of the hardening of their heart. Why? Because I don't want to do it God's way. I don't want anybody to tell me how I'm supposed to live. How dare you tell me how to live? 
Well, God is the one who created you. He knows your DNA. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what gives you excitement. He knows what fulfills your heart. Do you think that he's going to rip that all away from you when you come to Christ? No, he won't. Now, he might have a different plan for your life. But I would rather follow God's plan and be with him for eternity than reject his plan for a moment of pleasure here on the earth in order, and and actually that pleasure when we indulge in those things that we know that we're not supposed to, how much enjoyment do we really have? If you're a Christian and you're doing that, you feel dirty. I remember there was a time where I was living my life at that time when I sang that song. And and as as I'm singing this song, and I, I go every single time I indulged I I never could be at peace until I was completely blasted out of my brains because until I got blasted out of my brains I had this conscience about me that said God please do not come back while I'm sucking down this bong load how embarrassing that would be how horrible that would be what would I say I'll be the only one in heaven. The instrument's not going to be there, but my hands will probably still be in the same place. Hey, what are you doing, Don? Nothing. I'm thinking, wow. Is that really how I want to see Jesus when I come back, living in sin? Paul says, don't do that. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He says, listen, if you follow him, they're ignorant. Their hearts are hard because they don't want to do it God's way. He says, who being past feeling, verse 19, have given themselves over to licentiousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. I'm so running out of time. And so here's the thing. I will say this. They have, they have, Paul says, they've gone to the place where they are past feeling. You know what that means? That means that they have dulled and seared their conscience so much. You ever watch a cooking show? You know, that crazy guy Gordon Ramsay. He can reach into a pan and pick things up that's just sizzling hot and flip it over with his hand. How? He's seared the ends of his... Chefs, they do that. They sear the ends of their fingers to where they they, they get burned, but it doesn't hurt them anymore. They do it real quick, Yeah so as not to burn their flesh and let that be part of the steak or whatever it is that you're about to eat. But the thing is, is that they, they've they seared the conscience or they've seared the, the nerve endings. And that's what Paul's saying. These guys have seared their conscience. They've seared their nerve endings. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, What are the latter days? They're the days that we're living in. They're the days right now that you and I are living in. Some are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own, listen, having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. 
And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, this, don't follow these guys. These are not the guys to follow. And they're everywhere. They're in pulpits today. God is going to hold that guy in the pulpit. I believe that guy that is spreading heresy, that has a big church here in town, God's going to hold him responsible for that. But you know, God's not just going to hold him responsible. He's going to hold the hearers responsible. He's going to, he's going to hold the people responsible because why are you sitting here listening to somebody who is contradicting my word simply because he's popular? Simply because there's a lot of people there? Is that what it's about? That's not what Jesus was about. It wasn't about a lot of people. Obviously, he chased a lot of them away by the things that he said. But we don't want to say anything hard in church churches behind pulpits because here's the thing. We take the risk of people leaving. That's one of the things that we have in our society. We've got a church. We've got two and three churches on every street corner. And so if you don't like me, you're going to go to somewhere else. If you don't like them, you're going to go somewhere else. James McDonald talks about, you know, had somebody come to his church and, and, and it, it's, it's, I'm just using him because I know I've heard his illustration, but I will tell you this, this happens to every pastor, this happens to me. I just like the way that he dealt with it. A couple comes up to him after church and says, James, you know, hey, here's the thing, we love your teaching and here's the thing, uh, we used to be a part of so-and-so's church. But I'm telling you, he's this and he's done that and he's done this, he's done that. And James says, I know that guy and I know that that guy is not being represented correctly by these people. These people just, they don't like him. And he says, so what I do is I sit there and I take my watch off and I start, I start messing around with my watch and I'd be very demonstrative doing that to a point where they go, hey, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you playing with your watch? He goes, oh, I'm just adjusting my watch because I'm I'm trying to figure out how long it's going to be before I become that idiot that that guy is and you leave my church. The idea is, hey, you church hop, don't be a church hopper. Find a place that teaches the word and stick there. But... You can go to a large church. I'm not saying large churches are bad. I've been a part of huge churches, some of the largest churches in America. Doesn't mean that a large church is a bad church. Doesn't mean that a small church is a bad church. The idea is, what do they teach? And are you cognizant enough scripturally that you know when heresy comes your way? That's what Paul's trying to get to. Know your word. Know what it means to follow the Lord. Don't let your conscience be seared like theirs is. I, I It says that, uh, you know, they've given themselves over to licentiousness to work all in cleanness with greediness. And I, I can't help, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't share this today. I know that every pastor who's worth their salt probably is saying something along these same lines. I am mortified. Mortified and ashamed of the lawmakers that have passed this stupid bill in New York to abort babies at nine months. And then if that's not bad enough, to have him signing and have all these people behind him with this big grins on their face like they've done something wonderful. And I'm thinking, oh my God, 
do you understand what you have just done? It's just a fetus until it comes out. You're telling me it doesn't feel anything? Are you kidding me? You're saying it's a fetus, but in 18 or 9 inches, 8 inches. That's how big a baby is, right? I don't know. I'm a guy. So, I mean, my wife always gets mad at me. You know, how big was the baby? I don't know. It's a boy. How much does it weigh? I don't know. It's a boy. How long? It's a boy. Ha, ah, you don't get anything. No, I don't. I'm just a guy. So I don't know how long babies are. But however long that baby is, that baby has come out. So from when it's in the womb, it's a fetus and it doesn't feel pain. But the moment that it moves that far, well, now it can feel pain and it's murder. That doesn't make any sense. And it it it, it has caused my stomach to just churn, just sitting here going, this nation allows that? That is disgusting. That is disgusting that we think of children that way. You know, there was a time back in the old days, back in these biblical days that they would do the same thing. But they'd take the babies that were, that were, they came out of the womb. And by the way, that probably is on the way. I can't handle this baby. I can't afford this baby. Let's, let's put it down. Oh, that'll never happen. Oh, it won't. You never thought that it would happen that we could abort a baby at nine months. Are you kidding me? You don't think that this is going to go down this? This is our, we've already gone down this slippery slope. If you don't think that, that, you know, uh, euthanasia is not next on the agenda, even to a healthy baby, well, I can't afford to take this baby, so let's just, you know, fill them full of saline and kill them. They don't feel it. I'm the mother. I'm the parent. That's okay. That's my choice. It's not your choice. It's not your choice. Your choice is taking the life of someone. I'm horrified that my nation, our nation, allowed this to happen. And they're boasting in it. They're lighting up our buildings in pink because they're celebrating that we can kill a baby. Back in the biblical days, they'd take the baby and they'd go to Molech. And they, Molech was a, a, a god that was fashioned out of steel, out of hard metal. And what they would do is they would, underneath its hands, they would build a fire to where the hands were molten. And in order to appease the god of Molech, they'd take their firstborn babies and place this baby in the molten hands of, of, of Molech and sit there and watch it sizzle and die right in front of their eyes. And, oh, praise Molech! And I always sit there and look at that and go, oh, how gross. Do you know, when I, when I first heard that back when I was a kid, it shocked me that a people could ever become so debased that they would do that. I'm thinking, man, those people back in that day were crazy. Look at what we're living in right now. We have it happening right now in our own nation and they're boasting over it and they're smiling at it who being past feeling, these guys have seared their consciences with a hot iron. 
They've given themselves over to licentiousness. They have a license to do whatever they want. I want to kill a baby before it comes out. Hoo-hoo! Shame on you. God, take their life. I don't have a problem with that. To work on cleanness with greediness. What is it? I want to give the people what they want because I want to maintain my power. Ah, I got to stop. Verse 20, you have not so learned Christ. That's not what you've ever learned, Christ. Notice it doesn't say in Christ. You've not so learned Christ. It doesn't say you've not so learned in Christ. What it's saying is that Christ, this is how he lived. If this is how he lived... How ought should we live? If indeed you have heard him, you've been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, that old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on that new man or woman, you put on that new person, is what it's saying. You are different. You are not who you used to be. You are someone different when you come to Christ. Paul's saying, put off the old and put on the new, which was created according to God in righteousness and in true holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Yes, you can be angry, but in your anger, don't sin, is what he's saying. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And don't give place to the devil. Hey, listen, let him who steal, who stole, steal no longer. But let, rather, let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. That's a changed life, isn't it? You were a thief and you're coming here to my house. And you're giving me something. Why? Because my life has changed. I'm no longer a thief. I'm now working for Christ. There's a changed life. How about your life? Who did you used to be? And how is your life being manifested today in the world and your the people around you? What does it look like? Has there been a change? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you are sealed for the day of redemption. Listen, Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. And so Paul, he, he sits here and he says, this is, this is, this is what it is. This is what a, this is what a new life looks looks like. Don't have a, a, a conscience that's seared, where you have gone beyond feeling. A man came up to a pastor in a midwestern church after the pastor had taught on this topic, how sin would cause the conscience to convict us. And the man said to the pastor after his service, "Pastor, it was a good message today, but I only have one problem with your statement." And that is that sin is going to cause our conscience to convict us, he arrogantly boasted to the pastor. He said to the pastor, Pastor, I sin all the time. My conscience is fine. What's more, I sleep quite, quite peacefully at night, I might add. So I don't agree with that part of your message. The pastor thought for a moment, and then he said, 
let's take a large nail. Let's take a large nail and let's force it under the fingernail of a deceased man. Let me ask you a question. How much pain does that cause that dead man? The man said, well, obviously none. He's dead. The pastor said, precisely. And such is the case with anyone who can sin without feeling. Can you sin without feeling? I pray not. The thing is, we got to flee that. I'm out of time. I had an illustration I was going to use, but I can't do it because I'm out of time. But here's the thing. Don't be a dead man. Don't be a dead woman. Don't be beyond feeling. We're in a very, very important time to be a Christian. I don't think that there's ever been a more important time to be a Christian than right now. The world doesn't even know what a Christian is supposed to look like. Can we show them? That's your job. That's my job. That's our job. Let's be the salt. Let's be the light. Let's be the man or the woman that God has called us to be. And I don't care what anybody says. Disregard what the world says. Live for Christ. Let's live for the audience of one. Amen? Let's live as if we are Christians. Because you know what? If you've bowed your knee to Christ, you are. And God's given you a job through a son. Go into the, all the world and make disciples of all nations, tongues, kindreds. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit ghost and 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 lo i am with you always even to the end of the age that's what god's promises to you that's what jesus has promised you that's what he's promised me that's what he's promised us now let's go out and live like it amen that's what paul's just asking us to do go and do it man don't be afraid he's with you he's with you father thank you so much for today lord i know it's a little heavy on the message today But God, I'd rather be heavy and challenged and walk out of here maybe a little uncomfortable with some of the things that are going on in my life right now so that you can deal with them and you can change them. You can help me to change them. You can help me to release those things that are not of you. That I've grown comfortable. I might not be completely comfortable with them, but I've grown to know how to live about them, live around them, deal with the conscience, the the conviction of my conscience to where I'm able to do things now that when I was walking strong with you, I, I never would have thought I would have done. But I'm doing it now and I think that I still have a walk with you. But Lord, today, you've made me uncomfortable. And if you've made me uncomfortable today, in any aspect of my life, then Lord, show me where I need to change. Show me me where I need to release. Whatever it is that I'm holding on to that is apart from you, the God that is in direct contrast to what it is of the life that you've called me to live. God, today, this world needs to see truth. They need to see you, Jesus. They don't need to see Facebook. They don't need to see the popular opinion out there. It's there. It's all over the place. 
what the world is having a hard time seeing is Jesus Christ and him crucified. God, help us to go out there and be the true embodiment of the Great Commission. God, make our lives count. I don't care if we're young or if we're old in this place. God, make our lives count. There's way too much on the line for us to sit in the bleachers and not do anything and go with the flow. Take us out of our comfort zone, Lord. Help us to open our mouth when our mouths need to open. Help us to take action where action needs to be taken. Help us to reach out and minister and encourage where encouragement ministry needs to take place. God, truly help us to be the man or the woman that you've called us to be. And God, I know that a call like this, we might put so much stress and so much uh, uh, pressure upon our own shoulders to do so many things. But God, you tell us, are you weary and heavy laden? Then come unto me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. God, when we become so burdened down and heavy by our own conscience or by our own uh, desire to do something for you, God, if it's such a burden well then, Lord, maybe it's not of you. God, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be sensitive to the do's and the don'ts that you desire us to do and don't. Help us to take our steps in you and trust you with our with our steps, God. Help us to please you. Help us to live for you. Help us to see a lost and dark world out there and help us to truly go out and be a light and show you and present you to people. God, make that, make that our passion. Please, God. God, make that our passion. That's what you want us to do. And help us, God, not to be swayed. To the left or to the right. Let us not be tossed to and fro. But God, help us to walk your path. Trusting that you will empower us, embolden us, and educate us and equip us to do it. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.